You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 961 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday morning. And today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Well, 2.6 carbs, 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode. Today's show will focus on what became a 117 to 110 loss for the Hawks in Phoenix, a valiant comeback effort as the Hawks trailed in this game for really the entire game. And they made it interesting, very interesting, actually, in the final minutes, so uh, credit to them for that. Um, first, though, I want to plug a podcast from yesterday with Lucas Hahn. We discussed Lou Williams at length. Uh, Lucas covers the Clippers and has covered Lou for the last handful of seasons. That's a fun podcast to dive into, as well as our entire archive. Please subscribe to the show, and thank you, as always, for listening. Before the game actually started, the Hawks did have some injury updates to provide. Um, they announced a formal update on Cam Reddish for the first time in a while. Um, Tuesday's game was the 17th in a row that Cam has now missed with right Achilles soreness. And the Hawks now say that he has increased his lower limb weight room work and will add some low-level impact work um, moving forward. An update again in two weeks for the Hawks, which basically I would say 99% of the time means that he will not be back for at least that long, probably much longer than that. I have no idea what to tell you about timelines, but uh, the fact that he's still being updated every two weeks is not the most encouraging sign for Reddish, and he's been out for quite, quite a while now. So there you go on that. Also, DeAndre Hunter didn't play in this game. This is the third game in a row that he has missed since returning for two games. McMillan said before the game that he had some swelling still. That was the problem in the previous two games. Uh, a lot of people ask me if he came back too quickly. I understand that question, but I just, I just don't know the answer, honestly. Uh, it doesn't look great, I'll say that. At the very least, when a guy comes back after missing 20-plus games, plays two games, and then misses three more, and maybe more than that, with the same injury, that isn't going to go over very well. So that's the question. Um, we'll see what happens next with Hunter. I have no answers beyond that. Also, Lou Williams did not play in this game. I'm actually going to play the entire media availability for you at the end of this podcast if you'd like to hear it. He did about a 10-12 minute interview with the Atlanta media before the game as he's now with the team. Uh, McMillan said, and Lou said also, that they wanted to have him sort of observe things tonight and get a feel for the way the Hawks are playing. He hadn't been playing basketball the last few days as he was you know, easing in and traveling. He said that he did get some shots up um, before the game itself, but hasn't done any, any, any on-court stuff and wasn't prepared to play. So that tells you uh, the Hawks probably could have used him in this game, um, but we'll see how how he uh, sort of gets integrated beginning potentially on Thursday. Um, the Hawks did close this game as 5.5 point underdogs against uh, the, against the Suns on the road, according to our friends at BattleLine.ag. That tells you that Phoenix is the better team, and they're playing at home. As we, as we discussed yesterday, Phoenix is very good, so there's, there's no shame in losing to Phoenix by 7 points. That's a totally fine loss on the road. It was just the way things went down, so we'll dive into the game. Now, um, the first half was objectively not great for the Hawks. Um, as much as the second half was definitely laudable in the way they battled back, first half, not so much. Um, out of the gates, there was a really, really, really bad sequence by Clint Capella, who missed a layup, then fouled Jay Crowder on a three-point attempt, and it was reviewed and assessed a flagrant one foul for sliding under his feet. Um, that's the Zaza Pachulia rule, and in, uh, I know it wasn't like a flagrant foul in the traditional sense, but it definitely is supposed to be one according to the rules, so that happened. Then Devin Booker hits a three, and suddenly the Hawks are down 6-0 after one possession, <laughs> which is not what you want at the start of a game. Um, 
in the end, Phoenix led 21 to 11 after about five minutes, and they were dominating the offensive glass. They had four offensive rebounds of their first six misses. They were scoring more, listen to me now, more <laughs> than two points per possession in the first, like, six minutes of this game. That's tough to do. Um, the Hawks did come back, though, in their first of several counter punches in this game. They had a 7-0 run to make things more interesting. Uh, Gallinari and Herter came in as the first subs, then Solomon Hill came in a few minutes later. After a timeout, though, they went with the full second unit. That included Brandon Goodwin, actually, as a backup point guard in this game, and then a Conway at backup center. Um, Herter hit a three to tie it late in the first quarter. Uh, actually, hit a nice um, mid-range jump shot before that. It was a nice play by Kevin. Um, and then the Hawks only trailed by three at the end of the first period, 30-27. to 27. They actually shot better than the Suns did in the first in the first quarter. They just got killed on the glass, and they turned the ball over more than the Suns did in the opening quarter. The big run for Phoenix actually happened in the second period, but it dated back to the first quarter. So it was tied 27-27. The Suns had scored the last three points of the first quarter, and if you carry that over to the second quarter, it was an 18-2 run by the Suns to go up 45-29. to That came all against the second unit, basically, for the Hawks, a full second unit. It was pretty ugly on both ends of the floor. Offensively, there was just kind of hapless with Goodwin, and there wasn't a whole lot of creation on the floor. And then defensively, a couple pretty bad breakdowns from the second unit as well. So um, by the time the starters came back in the game, they were down 13, and uh, that was a little bit shaky. Um, they got it back to 10 pretty quickly, though, in the second quarter on a three-point play by Trey Young. They struggled to get some stops that entire time, basically, but the offense did come alive. They had some uh, dunks for Capella. In fact, back-to-back dunks for him. Uh, there was one weird coaching decision that I wanted to point out, other than the going the second unit for too long, which I do think happened. They played the second unit for way longer than I would have, given how badly it was going. Also, though, in the end of the first quarter, sorry, in the first half, the Hawks had a defense on the possession on the very, very last play of the half, and McMillan took out Gallinari and Bogdanovich for defense, which is totally fine. He put in Hill, uh, they went to Herter for Bogdanovich because Bogdan had two fouls. But they also left Trey Young in um, on that possession. So on one hand, logical moves, but on the other, like they had Goodwin to go to, or even Mays if they wanted to do that, or something else, uh, and they went to Young, which is kind of strange. It isn't really, not a huge deal, just kind of a funny, logical uh, strategic move from McMillan. Anyway, the Hawks down 12 at the half. Both offenses did cool off from where they were at different times in the first half. But uh, Trey had 10 and 8 at the halftime break. Capella had double double. Actually, wasn't very good. He was pretty bad, I thought, despite having the big numbers in the first half. But the Suns had 19 second chance points in the first half. That was the difference, basically, between where the Hawks were and the Suns were. The Hawks also allowed 23 three point attempts in the first half, which is a ton. And I know. Um, when they don't go in, it looks fine, but that's too many to allow, and the Hawks were giving up a bunch of open shots, and they actually got um, pretty lucky that the Suns weren't like absolutely burying them in the first half. But alas, as you can see, if you watch this game, or if you, even if you didn't, I'll tell you this now, the Hawks were able to make a, make a run to make things interesting. So the fact that they didn't get down by 20 and were only down by 12 at the half ended up being pretty important. Okay, before we get to the rest of the podcast and uh, the third quarter, fourth quarter, and some takeaways... It is time to reveal our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And quite honestly, there wasn't a single performance that was like dominant this week. The Hawks, of course, have lost four of their last five games, so there isn't like a masterful individual effort. But I wanted to highlight Bogdan Bogdanovich because I thought he was the best player for the Hawks in this game. He had 22 points, six assists, four steals, four rebounds, and 37 minutes to lead the team in all those categories. And he's basically just coming alive at this point, which is really good to see. Of course, the Hawks anointed him with that big, with that big contract. They, they, they need him to be awesome. 
And honestly, he fits in with the theme of Michelob Ultra because uh, he has a little bit of juice going right now, and he didn't seem to be thrilled before the deadline. And now that he's playing more, um, I think it's actually going to work out for everybody involved. So Bogdanovich is the player of the week this week. Are you happy because you win? Are you win because you're happy? And only 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. is only worth it if you enjoy it. In the end, joy creates success, and enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Michelob Ultra and the Ultra Player of the Week is Bogdan Bogdanovich. All right, second half started at a on a pretty ugly note, actually, because going into halftime, the Hawks announced that John Collins was going to miss the rest of the game with a left ankle sprain. For a while, quite honestly, I didn't know when this happened, and I don't think anybody did. I was asking around. It wasn't too obvious in the moment, and part of that was because after the fact, it was revealed that Collins played for a while on it. Um, McMillan said a handful of minutes the Fox Sports Southeast broadcast finally caught it, I think, and when it actually happened, it was like um, Collins rolled the ankle pretty badly at one point. But again, to his credit, just kept playing, kept rolling out there. That's, that, that's why it wasn't like a very obvious thing. But he missed the entire second half, and uh, I guess it was more impressive that the Hawks were able to come back because Collins is obviously one of the better players. So um, they started out with Solomon Hill at the four, and Solomon played a bunch after halftime. Uh, he's been in the rotation again with DeAndre Hunter out of the lineup, but they needed him to be sort of that dual role in this game as he was for much of the season at the outset. But the Hawks were pretty much stagnant early in the third quarter. The The margin of, uh, I guess the margin stayed between like 10 and 14 for most of the third. Um, in fact, there was one weird play that, I, one word sequence I, I should say that, that I wanted to mention. Trey Young got three fouls in the first four minutes or so of the third quarter, including his fourth overall. So he had to sit Actually, stayed in the game for a, kind of a curiously long time after he got his fourth foul, then he sat for a while. He ended up sitting for 10 minutes, which is a, a long time for Trey Young to sit in a competitive game. But with four fouls, you kind of you kind of get it. They started out, though, with him off with him off the floor with Bogdanovich and Herter playing together without a backup point guard. So that was an interesting decision for McMillan when that happened. Um, the Hawks did trail by as many as 15 at one point in the third quarter. Um, but they scored the next five points. Bogdanovich came alive, as I said before. Um, he had a couple of threes to get the lead down to nine. The second one was an awesome find by Kevin Herter, just kind of an, an extra pass swing that he needed to make and did. And then Solomon Hill had a three to get cut the lead down to six. It was an 8-0 run by Atlanta and uh, with some help from Devin Booker, who was pretty bad in, in that little stretch from Phoenix. After a timeout, the Hawks kept pushing up the run. In fact, it was 14-2 overall including a dunk by Nathan Knight, on the who, who was actually playing in place of Collins. Knight did not play at all in the first half, so it was definitely a Collins replacement situation there uh, in the third quarter. He got fouled again on the next trip, actually, and missed both, re- missed fo- missed both, both free throws, but I think uh, that was uh, good to see him sort of attacking, as he often does. But the Hawks only trailed by four points after three quarters, and the Hawks shot the heck out of the ball in the third. They were 12 of 18 from the floor and 5 of 7 from three in the third quarter outscoring the Sun 33-25, and Bogdanovich had 12 on his own in the third period. Uh, the fourth was a lot more back and forth because the damage was kind of done from the Hawks getting back into the game. Uh, it was sort of teetering, and then it wasn't, and then from there it was kind of a back-and-forth affair. Um, a pretty fortunate call that went the Hawks' way early in the fourth on, Gall- on Gallinari hitting uh, three free throws. On, actually, he was, he was kind of fouled on a three-point attempt, and there you go on that. Um they had an opportunity to keep kind of checking it from that point forward. Gallinari actually missed a couple of wide-open threes in the fourth quarter that were noteworthy to me. But it was kind of teetering. Once Trey, got, once Trey came back in, he was definitely a big help to the offense. Had a couple of great passses in his run. Also had a three to cut it down to five. Um, there was one stretch mid-quarter in the fourth where kind of nobody could score. There was one point scored in almost three minutes total by the two teams. But from there... A lot of offense. It was a great pass by Young to Kevin Herter for a three to get back within four. They got a stop from there, and then McDonough found Capella for a dunk to get back within two with four minutes to go. 
And then after another stop, Trey gets to the line and ties it at 103-103 with 3.31 to go. The Suns scored three points in about four and a half minutes as the Hawks chipped away to tie the game. But as I said before, the Hawks never led in this game, and they did not lead from this point forward. Phoenix scored out of a timeout. Um, the Hawks did tie it again with Young finding Capella. Uh, Her had a shot for the lead, actually, on the next possession. It was a pretty tough shot, but he missed it. Uh, Aiton then scores. The Hawks turn it over. The Suns give it back to them. Um, but the Suns then call timeout with 107. They're up, up 107-105 with 126 to go. The Suns ran a great out-of-bounds play, actually, to uh, get Mikel Bridges a dunk to go up by four. But then another big shot from Bogdanovich, who was, again, really good in this game, hit a, hit a pretty contested three on the left side to get the, to get the lead back to 109-108. to So down by one. They get a stop, a pseudo-stop on Devin Booker, but Aiton follows it up and scores to 111-108 with less than a minute to go. The Hawks call timeout, and then uh, this is where the game finally ended up swinging uh, towards Phoenix. Hawks down three with the ball. Um, Aiton kind of stonewalls Trey Young at the at the rim for an empty possession, and then the Suns come down, get it to Jay Crowder, who hits, who hits a dagger three and the foul for a four-point play, and suddenly the game goes from a three-point game to a seven-point game, which is about the biggest swing imaginable because uh, it's one possession to three. So that's uh, pretty brutal there. And uh, from there, it's pretty much over. So, you know, the Hawks, again, I think credit to them for coming all the way back to make things interesting. This is a good Phoenix team. They're 32-14. and 14. They're red hot right now. Again, no shame in them losing to the Suns. They just get a couple of little things that went the other direction, and they might have won this one, but there you go. Um sort of broad takeaways from this contest. The fourth quarter, the Hawks shot 7 of 20, and uh, it was available to them if they had gone crazy in the fourth. They just couldn't quite put it together. But at the end of the day, this is a defensive loss more than an offensive loss. The Hawks scored about 1.15 points per possession in this game. They took care of the ball at a high level. They only had seven turnovers in the entire game. That's elite from the Hawks. They shot the ball pretty well at 58% true, true shooting clip, 48% from the floor, um, 13 to 32 from three, so and had 30 assists. So offensively, not a lot to complain about. The only thing that I would say is that the Hawks just did not make an imprint on the offense on the offensive glass, which is a Capella issue because he's usually the one that's dominant in that area. He only had one in this game. Uh, it wasn't only him, but the Hawks did not have their normal second chance points. That was about the only thing that the Hawks didn't do well on offense in this game. So um, overall, you cannot complain about the offense against a top five defense. By the way, in the Suns, the Hawks scored at a pretty high level throughout this game. Uh, defensively, though, it's pretty ugly. The Suns scored about 1.22 points per possession, which is an absolute elite figure. And that included the Suns turning the ball over 14 times, actually. They, they shot the ball great. 51% from the floor, um, 38% from three. Got to the line 18 times, made 15 of them. So shooting number-wise, they went. They had the advantage there. The only advantage the Hawks had in the overall box score was that they turned the ball over less than the Suns did, but the, Hawks, the Suns kind of counteracted that by getting a lot more offensive rebounds. They had, five, they had five more offensive rebounds in this game. So, you know, overall, the Suns are really good on offense, so it's not like a crime to be able, to be unable to stop them, but the Hawks just had, I would say, long stretches in this game. They, they just could not get a stop. There were a couple of lulls that Phoenix put together where the Hawks did their part to hold up in those in those stretches, but the Hawks did not get stops at a, on a general level in this game, and that ended up being their downfall at the end. Um, all right, let's go to the individual stuff now before we get out of here and uh, get to the Lou Williams uh, media interview that he did on Tuesday. Um, individually, off the bench, it was essentially a 10-man rotation in this game, but the 10 were different in the two halves. It was a Kongwu in the first half. It was Knight in the second half. 
um, in place of Collins, kind of as a more of a power forward option than a center option. Um, but those two guys play, both played six minutes each. Knight had two points and a rebound. Congo had two points and two rebounds. Um, not a whole lot else going on for either one of them in this game. Uh, Goodwin played two stints. He had 11 points. Sorry, 11 minutes. Two points, one assist, one rebound. It was minus 11, though. He was on the floor for that one really, really bad run in the first half. I was curious. I'm not really sure what the reasoning was to go to Goodwin other than Mays. Um, and because last time it was Mays when they didn't have back a point guard, I think it'll be Lou Williams moving forward mostly, but I, I'm not really sure if there's a rhyme or reason if they're just trying some stuff at that spot. But um, BG had some moments, but wasn't particularly good, I didn't think, in this game. Um, elsewhere, the guys who actually played more, more real minutes, Solomon Hill, 19 minutes, 4 or 5 from the floor, 2 of 3 from 3. Missed both of his free throws, which is kind of strange, but um, had 10 points. I thought he played pretty well overall. Kevin Herter, a couple of nice moments as well. Had a nice pull-up mid-ranger, hit three threes, had 12 points and three assists. Um, was a, a dead even plus zero or neg- or minus zero, I guess, and a seven-point loss. So I thought he was a pretty uh, pretty nice um, guy off the bench in this game. And then Gallinari, he had a couple of big moments, but also missed a couple of big shots that could have swung things in the Hawks' direction. Some open ones, too. Had 13 points, three, three assists, and three rebounds in 23 minutes. Four ten from the floor and two of seven from three. To the starters, uh, John Collins played the least because he got hurt. Nine points, four rebounds, three assists in the first half. He was totally fine. Um, I will say defensively, it is a challenge for the Hawks to play against a team like the like the Suns, who basically play pretty small. They kind of play four out offensively, and that requires Collins and even Capella to chase a little bit on the perimeter more than they would like to, and that was showing up a little bit early on. Like, Jay Crowder got eight free, got eight three-point attempts up, for instance, as a stretch four. That's one potential pivot area that the Hawks need to address and just kind of get better at in a small ball situation in a playoff series in particular, but that happened in this game. Other than that, Collins was fine. Um, Tony Snell, 29 minutes, five points, one of two from three to keep his uh, average up, although that probably brought, actually brought it down for the game. But he was minus 13. Um, nothing really terrible there from him. But he was asked to guard Devin Booker for quite a bit of this game. That's one of the things also the Hawks don't have right now is without um, without Dunn, obviously, and with, without Reddish and Hunter, they have their three best you know, perimeter defenders that are unavailable right now. That leaves Snell as their best guy to throw at Devin Booker, which isn't ideal. Um, elsewhere, I thought Capella, this is kind of funny, but I think Capella was pretty bad. He was better in the second half, I'll give you that. But defensively, it was... Not good from him, at least by his standards. I'm not sure if he's battling some foot stuff after he was injured and missed a couple games. He's a little bit step slow. Um, effort level is not quite as high as it was early in the season. But offensively, he, you know, he's all on the glass and all that stuff. 14.16 rebounds in this game. Looks just fine, but he had one block. Um, you know, He was reasonably efficient. He was 7-11 for the floor. A couple of missed bunnies, though, as he's prone to do. I think he was better in the second half, like I said. But the first half, it was kind of funny because he, he had 10-10, and 10, and I thought he was like, pretty actively bad in the first half. He, he was better after halftime, but not, not his best work despite pretty good numbers. Uh, Trey Young, I would say similarly, he's not shooting the ball well at all on this trip in general, which is not like, it's not a huge sample size, but he, he was 5-16 from the floor in this game, 1-4 from 3. That's the line though, 9 times, made 8 of them, 19 points, 13 assists, and like I said before, his passing in the fourth quarter was really impressive. He had several like highlight-making assists throughout this game. Um, three steals, was pretty active defensively at, at different times. Uh, had a couple of uh, letdown moments as well, as he's prone to do. But I don't, th- I don't think he was particularly good. Part of that's the shooting um, that, that was not very good in this game. But the passing was, so what are you going to do? And then finally, Bogdanovich, like I said before, the player of the week this time from Oklahoma Ultra. Um, 22-6, four steals, four assists, 
uh, sorry, four rebounds, four, four of eight from three, eight of 18 from the floor, two, two from the free throw line. He looks good. And the Hawks, by the way, were plus seven in his minutes. So <laughs> in short, the Hawks were minus 14 in the 11 minutes that Bogdanovich did not play in this game. There's a little bit of noise there, as always, in single game plus minus for one player, but that does kind of tell you the story that they were good when he played and bad when he didn't in this game. Okay, um, last thing before we get out of here um, and get to Lou Williams. Um, the Hawks have a day off for travel on Wednesday and then a back-to-back against San Antonio on Thursday and New Orleans on Friday. Um, both of those are winnable games. I will say, though, the schedule is brutal in that New Orleans game. The Pelicans are definitely, that's definitely a beatable team, but the last game of a long trip on a back-to-back with travel is a brutal schedule spot. The Spurs are definitely winnable, too, on Thursday, but we'll keep an eye on both those games. Um, no podcast in between now and then, barring an emergency. If something else happens and pops up, I'll do a podcast, but if not, that'll be the next time you hear from me is after the Spurs game, but please subscribe to the podcast. Um, one more time, please subscribe to the podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, one more agenda item, though, is the full audio from Lou Williams talking to the media before the game on Tuesday for the first time since the trade. Um, a couple of noteworthy things that I wanted to point out before you hear it. And if you're not familiar with Lou Williams, he's definitely very candid and interesting with the media. He's always been that way. Um, he was that way when he was with the Hawks the last time when I was first starting to cover the team uh, more full-time-ish. Um, and he was really good and interesting today, I thought. You know, sometimes candor gets some pushback. I saw some people, especially in like Sarah Spector's mentions and mine, um, that were not like thrilled with the way that Lou was talking. But... I thought he was just kind of professionally honest and candid. So you'll hear that in a moment. He did acknowledge that he uh, he did consider he did consider retirement, as we discussed earlier um, when he kind of put that on Instagram. But he was asked about it today and it sort of elaborated on that. You'll hear about that in, in a moment. But he he talked to his family and friends. Has ultimately decided to play. Also, he said it took him a few days to, to get to the team because he wanted the energy to be good and positive on arrival. But the Hawks have embraced him and he's ready to get to work. So I sort of ended on a pretty positive note overall. And by the way, he'll be wearing number six with the Hawks after wearing 23 because it's retired with Atlanta. So that's a change for Lou. Again, I think he'll probably play on Thursday. Nothing official at this point in time. And he actually wasn't on the injury report officially in this game. He just was going to be inactive because they said as much. But no injury to worry about there for Lou. He just hadn't played basketball in a few days. Anyway, I won't spoil it all. But before we get to the audio, we're from our sponsors on the podcast. And when we come back, you will hear from Lou. But first, a word from Bilt Bar. All throughout the month of March, and well before that, I've been telling you about the best tasting protein bar on the market, and that is Built Bar. Built Bar tastes fantastic. That is first and foremost, but it's also low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber, and has 100% chocolate on all of its bars. And now, here, as we are still in the month of March, it's time to find out which Built Bar is the best, because it's Built Bar Madness. You can check out all of the bracket matchups at BuiltBar.com or at bar underscore built on Twitter. And today's matchup is mint brownie against coconut brownie chunk. A couple of really high-end options. I would lean towards mint brownie personally, but uh, I will not tell you what to do. Please vote your conscience as always. Also, beyond the Built Bar bracket and the, I guess, the quest for the number one spot in the Built Bar bracket. Also, we have a promo code you can use at BuiltBar.com. It is LOCKED15. 15% off on your next order with the site. That is LOCKED15. 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And also, check back to see who won today's matchup and become the best-tasting protein bar in the business. One more time, that is promo code LOCKED15. 15% off on your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com. Today's show is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action today. 
Even without football, for a little while longer, you're, there's plenty to wager on, including the NBA, of course. College basketball is in full swing, both men's and women's right now, and the NHL is also happening. You have golf, you have soccer, you have tennis, auto racing, UFC, all that kind of stuff is available for you at betonline.ag, and BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds are present, and you have props on almost anything you can imagine right now at BetOnline, and BetOnline has you covered for all your news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website right now at betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today. And if you do that, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use our promo code, and that is promo code Locked On. Yes, that is 50% free cash and a welcome bonus with promo code Locked On. One more time, promo code Locked On at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And the rest of the show will be unedited with the exception of me removing some silences in between questions. You'll hear this is just question and answer the entire about 12 minutes or so from the media. So here's Lou Williams. Subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you all next time. What's up, Lou? Uh, what's going on? Not too much. Thank you for your time. Welcome back to Atlanta. We will go ahead and get started. I've got a question for you from Sarah Spencer of the AJC. Hey, Lou. Welcome back to Atlanta, even though you're technically in Phoenix right now. Um, nice to nice to meet you. Um, just overall, what was your reaction to to being traded and and now joining the Hawks? Um, just it's an opportunity for me to further my career, continue on, and um, um, you know, year sixteen, you know, it's ups and downs, it's highs and lows, and so to have an opportunity to continue on, um, in my home state, um, in the city that I'm, I'm, I'm well known playing with a team that I've played with before, with a new group of guys, you know, I'm just uh, happy to be back home. What's your um, just overall impression of this team and what kind of role do you kind of envision for yourself? I'm not really sure. It's my first day on the job. You know, that'll be up to Coach McMillan um, and, and what he sees fit for, for this group. Um, obviously, in, the, in this past month, they've had a lot of success with how they've been playing um, in a good groove. And so whatever he sees fit for me to fit into that, so that Mo, you know, I'm down for. Chris Kirshner with The Athletic. Hey, Lou, hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm curious, how uh, seriously were you considering retiring? I, I saw your Instagram post um, saying that you were considering it. So just how strongly were you actually considering it? <clears throat> Very serious. Um, you know, when, when you get into a, a situation at the, at the stage of my career, um, you're playing with a, you're playing with a team that you know that was my fourth year. I had a lot invested there. Um, you know we had some success. We were we were gearing up for another deep playoff run, a championship run. Um, you know that was our mentality. Um, you know, and I thought I would finish the season there. You know, and, um, you know in the later stage of your career, you don't know when is the end. You know, and so once you get traded, you know you just you just weigh all your options. And I'm in a I'm in a position where I can kind of um, have a say in my destiny, have a say in um, what I would like to do at this point in my career. And so um, after speaking with my family, speaking with friends and, you know, people that support me and um, the overwhelming support that I got from um, the Atlanta community and uh, people excited for me to be a part of this organization, um, it kind of gave me some life to continue on. And so, but it was a very serious thought. Was there something in particular that sold you on not retiring? I know you just mentioned the conversations with your, your family and friends, but was it something specific? I still feel like I can play. Um, still feel like I can play. Still feel like I can play at a high level. Um, and at the same time, I feel like I can help this team um, do some things. And so, 
you know, I, I don't want to look back and, and retire prematurely and, and, and ask myself what could have been and what I could have done. So instead, I want to give myself the opportunity to um, finish out the season with this team and, um, and, and go from there and make a decision in the offseason. Terrell Thomas of These Urban Times. Hey, what's going on, Lou? Uh, welcome back to Atlanta. I, I'm curious to uh, find out what number will you wear with the team? And uh, have you had an opportunity prior to arriving in Phoenix to actually communicate or talk to any of your new teammates? Uh, yeah, I spoke with a few of the guys. Um, Trey reached out. Um, Gallo and I had played previously uh, with each other. Gallo reached out as well and um, um, spoke to those two guys. I'm not sure if the other guys have my number, but you know, those were two guys I'd already had a relationship with. Um, um, but I spoke to them and, and um, they welcomed me with open arms and met all the guys today. They welcomed me with open arms. And so um, I'm excited to get this thing going and just continue to build with these guys. And um, I wear number six. So obviously my son, I, I named my son six last year and um, 23 is retired here. So I decided to wear number six. Thank you. Kelly Kroll from Fox Sports Southeast, soon to be Valley Sports Southeast. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Lou, Nate mentioned just a few minutes ago that, you know, got in last night, you guys had some conversations um, today. You really felt like you just kind of wanted to get a sweat in and then kind of watch this team. What is your, uh, I, I guess, expectation tonight, what you're trying to accomplish? And then when you really do hope to get on the floor for these guys? Um, just want to get an understanding of how they play. Um, just have an opportunity to watch, see the sets, um, get a feel for, for rotations and, and just understand um, how this group of guys mesh, and, and like I said, where, where would I fit? Um, I thought it would be unfair to me and, and this group of guys to just throw me out there. You know, this is my hometown, and so I don't want to be embarrassed in my second debut here. You know, so just to have an opportunity to to uh, get my legs back under me, get a good workout, um, get a feel for everything that's going on, and, and and get ready for the next. Appreciate it. Can't imagine that would happen, but thanks. Andrew from the LA Times. Hey Lou, good to see you. I, I remember, I think when you won your third six man, you had mentioned that when you got to the Clippers, you initially kind of were wondering where your career might be headed at that point in 2017. And you felt like at that point, your, your, your career had sort of been revived by what Doc had been able to let you do and whatnot. I guess, how do you look back in total on uh, you know, your three plus seasons with the Clippers and what it did for kind of your career? Uh, it was a great experience. Um, I'm grateful for um, having the opportunity to be there, having the opportunity to have success, have such great teammates, um, work with a, with a, with you know several different groups of guys, and um, and you know LA, you know will be somewhere I call home. Um, I was embraced there. Um, the staff was uh, amazing to me at a, at a time where I didn't know which direction my career would go in. Um, I was embraced. I was comfortable. I felt like um, I was a part of what was being built. And, um, and so I'm grateful for that, for that experience. And so uh, looking back on it, I have nothing but positive things. And then I know that, you know, being traded is something that you, you know can happen in a career, but with, with Pat Bev, especially, you guys seemed so close. Uh, I guess how difficult was it to sort of like not be his teammate and him not be your teammate? Just that bond seemed to be something that sustained this locker room for, for a number of years. Uh, man, it hurts, um, you know, just to be candid, it hurts. Uh, you know, I had some um, very emotional conversations with those guys after that trade, you know, in, in the entirety, um, you know, as well as Pat, you know, Pat called me the other day, um, a little emotional that my locker room was empty, you know, and so, you know, people, you know, 
Pat and I were the longest tenured guys on that group. You know, we, we were there four years. Uh, we were on the team that they expected us not to play off, not make the playoffs. And we put that group on our backs um, and, and we battled a, a, a very talented Golden State team. And, you know, when you do something like that, uh, you know, you kind of feel emboldened like you're, you're part of um, the culture that's being created. I think we put a lot of things in place there um, they will carry on with a lot of the young guys that they've brought in from Shea um, to Terrence um, to Zubak. You know, those are guys that um, we put a lot of heart and um, just a lot of courage and confidence in those guys, how they should carry themselves as pros. And we took a lot of pride in that. So uh, for that to come to an end and, um, and for it to be time to move on, you know, that was that was emotional for us all. Thanks, Liv. Good to see you. Brandon Harper from 680 The Fan. Yeah, welcome back, Lou. Um, I know every situation is different, you know, depending on what team you go to, but what are, um, you know, what what is something that you learn from being out in LA uh, that you, you know, that you specifically want to bring back here to Atlanta? Um, like I said, I think with, with that group in LA, you know, with being, um, kind of a, a, a team that was overlooked. Um, people are not saying that you can do X, Y, and Z. I, we put that on our backs and um, we put a chip on our shoulder and we went out um, and we competed at a high level. You know, I think this team is right here on the cusp of, of turning the corner with so much young talent, um, guys trying to uh, um, carve out their legacies in this league. You know, Trey and JC, you know, those are going to be the guys that are going to lead this organization. Um, to some great moments and, um, you know, just having that arrogance to, to feel like you can, um, you can accomplish anything. You know, I just want to, I, I want to kind of instill that in those guys and no matter what everybody is saying, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to competing hard, carrying yourself as a pro and always giving yourself an opportunity to play um, at a high level. So I think that'll be one of the lessons that I've learned and, and something that I would want to give to those guys. It looks like the, well, two more questions. First, from home team, Brandon Leak. Brandon, you're on mute. Still trying to get used to technology. Welcome back to Atlanta, Lou. Uh, uh, your thoughts with you talking about contemplating uh, retirement, coming to the team on the other half of the schedule. Uh, mentally, where do you uh, think you'll be? Where are you now? And how do you think your instant offense that you've been able to bring to the league uh, will help this team for the final stretch run? Um, I, it took me a few days to get here because uh, once I arrived, I wanted my energy to be positive. I wanted, I wanted my, uh, my experience to, to be positive. And I didn't want the guys to look at me like I didn't want to be here. It wasn't um, personal against the Hawks. I just needed some time to figure out um, what was best for, for, for myself at this stage of my career. Um, but now that I'm here, and like I said, I've been embraced, um, the guys, um, Seems as if they want me here. Um, so I'm ready to get back to work um, and make this push and, and move forward. Last question from Christos. Hello, Lou. Hope you are doing well. Uh, first of all, what is your biggest motivation to be a Hawker and uh, help uh, players like uh, Kevin Erder and Trey Young to grow on the court? Um, you know, those are very young, talented guys. Anywhere that I can be of influence to them um, with the things that I've, I've experienced over the course of my career, um, that I could pass along to those guys. I'm here for that. Um, my motivation is this is my hometown. Um, this is where I lay my head at night. Um, 
this is where my career started as a basketball player at Salconet High School. And so, you know, anytime I put on the Hawks uniform, um, I want to further that legacy and I, I, I want to be remembered in that light to, to always do great things. And um, so you know, that's why I'm here. And the follow up, it's almost seven years since your last game as a Hawk. How different player you feel both, uh, both as a player and as a person through the last seven years? And what is Lou Williams' legacy as a player? Uh, what is my, my legacy would be whatever um, my peers decide, um, what they saw and what they experienced from me. I don't, I don't know if it's fair for me to, uh, to say that for myself. Um, I've accomplished a lot of things in this league. I've played at a high level. Um, and at the same time, I've experienced um, everything from not playing to almost being an all-star starter to coming off the bench, being the all-time leading scorer off the bench. And so um, those accomplishments speaks for themselves. Um, that'll be up to um, whoever has an opinion about my legacy, what, what it is. Um, I feel really good about it, and um, that's it.